0: We're going to begin in verse 10 in Isaiah 7. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz ask for a sign from the Lord your God. It can be as deep as Sheol or, or as high as heaven. But Ahaz replied, I will not ask, I will not test the Lord. Isaiah said, Listen, listen, house of David. Is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. By the time he learns to reject what is bad and and, and choose what is good, He will be eating curds and honey. For before the boy knows to reject what is bad and choose what is good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. May God add God's blessing to the reading of God's Word. This section is actually the second part of an interaction between Isaiah and King Ahaz, the the king of the southern kingdom. Judah. This is during the time period where the no good, awful Assyrians are pushing hard against the northern kingdom and coming to ultimately destroy them. And Ahaz senses this from the southern kingdom, and that is what is is going on. It's actually a decade or so before Assyria will complete that uh, domination of Israel the northern kingdom. So Israel, along with their neighbor Aram, which I think is around the modern day Syria area, not Assyria, Syria, they joined up to put pressure on Ahaz and all of Judah so that they could have Judah's help in trying to thwart push back against the Assyrian Assyrian armies coming against them and their aggression. But what they did not know is that Ahaz was already in cahoots. You like that word, cahoots? I like that word. Already in cahoots with Assyria. So the kings of Israel and Aram were trying to to dethrone Ahaz in order that they could install a puppet king who would ultimately do their bidding. Now, Ahaz, I believe, is afraid. I believe he's afraid. He and his court, they were so afraid of the attack coming from Israel and Aram that in in verse 10, we see Isaiah come to Ahaz and ultimately be God's mouthpiece for Ahaz. And the king is offered a sign from God so that Ahaz can actually have confidence that God is going to protect them. All Ahaz has to do is ask for that sign. And Ahaz responds by saying, no thanks. I have a couple of a teenager and a preteen in my house. I don't know if if you guys have been around kids lately, but this is where they would insert the the phrase, I'm good. I'm good. I get that a lot. Maybe you do. Now, Ahaz rejects it. This is interesting. Now, full disclosure, there's a chance that Ahaz is being truly deferential toward almighty God in saying, I will not ask, I will not test the Lord. And in doing so, he would actually be demonstrating or abiding in the injunction found in Deuteronomy 616, which says, do not put, do not test the Lord your God, do not put the Lord your God to test. Now, think about it. The, the faith of Ahaz is potentially on display here. What, what if Ahaz was saying, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to test the Lord. I'm, I'm going to move forward in faith. I, I don't need the Lord to, to prove to me that we are going to be OK. You, you see, to walk in faith without a particular sign or, or proof, that's a position of, of strength, For the people of God to demand a sign can actually be interpreted as a a means of manipulating God. But that's not what is really happening here. God, through Isaiah, is offering a sign to Ahaz that things are going to be okay, ultimately. And Ahaz says, I'm good. He rejects it. I had this illustration prepared this morning, and then my father-in-law shows up, so I have to filter it for accuracy if he's going to be in the room. But I don't tell you stories that aren't true. I just, you know, have some freedom with the details every now and then. But I remember him telling me a story about his father-in-law, and this was many years ago, um, but it was something that his father-in-law, Howard, uh, would said to him one time. This is when He was dating my mother-in-law, and as they were in their Samford uh, University days, and they would go over to um, her house and be received by his future uh, in-laws, and they would, of course, a good Alabama family would offer something to eat when the college boy comes over. And my father-in-law, Trevor, would inevitably say, no, 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 I'm not hungry, I'm not hungry. And what he came to understand uh, that Howard would say in those moments and in other moments like them, he would say, give me a hungry man any day over somebody who says they're not hungry. Somebody who says they're not hungry will eat you out of house and home. (laughs) To say I'm not hungry can often mean, uh, can be, uh, well, false advertising. Of one's appetite. Ahaz is falsely advertising his piety. No, I don't want to test God. No, I don't want to bother God. What he's really saying is I don't want to put my trust in God. He's not interested at all in trusting God probably because he's already mapped out his own strategy, his own course. He's already put together his own plan. And this plan, for some reason, is to trust Assyria to help deliver him from Aram and Israel. Ahaz is, is putting to test the axiom that maybe some of you have heard, the, the, the enemy of my enemy is my, my ally. And as I thought about Ahaz this week, and I really thought about him, because I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt as much as I could here. As I thought about him this week, the word that came, came to my mind is expedient. Expedient means conventional, it means practical, possibly to the point of improper or even immoral. The truth is, as I think I see it, is the world's full of people like Ahaz churches too. You you can have you can have this, God. You can you can have control over this part of my life. But these things over here, these things over here, I I've, I've got those. I'm good. I don't need any signs about that. Church, do our lives reflect that we believe god has everything under control think about that do our lives reflect that we believe that god really does have everything under control or are there ways in our lives where we are allies with the enemies of our enemies, or we're laying down, allowing God to have control over this or that, and we're assuming that control with our own plans, with our own ways, with our own means. Do our lives reflect that we believe that God has everything under control? There was a certain church in which the young people, as Christmas approached, they, they wanted someone in the church to dress up and, and play the role of Santa Claus at a particular party that they were throwing, that they threw every year for disadvantaged kids in their community. It's a really cool idea. And they would have a dinner and a party for families that did not have as much. And they would come together at the church, and they wanted to have a Santa Claus at this particular party. And there was one person in the church who was a leader in the church, a strong leader in the church. He was a banker. He was very generous um, with his money in his, uh, in his giving to the church. He was close with his money, but he was very generous as well, very faithful to the church. And they went to him and said, hey, would you be willing to play Santa Claus at our Christmas party, dress up and, and, and do, the whole, do the whole deal? And he said, well, I guess so. It was a moment of weakness. He, he didn't really have it in him to say no. And truth is, they didn't ask him because he was generous, even though he was. They didn't ask him because he had any particular qualities that, were, that would have made it make so much sense for the rest of the church. Oh, yeah, of course. Jim's going to play Santa Claus. He's a lot like Santa Claus. No, they asked him because he kind of looked like what they thought Santa Claus looked like. He had Santa's shape. So they asked him. He said, Sure. As the time of the party, when it approached, he got nervous, and he was growling at at supper several nights before, and he said to his wife, I can't do this. I can't be Santa Claus. She said, sure you can, dear. You just put on that silly suit and pretend. It's not a big deal. Well, the night arrived for the party, and he was so nervous he could hardly even dress himself and put on the suit. And and his wife heard him praying, saying, God, help me to be a good Santa Claus. And, And she said... Honey, you're taking the fun all out of this. Just relax. Well, he went to church and he, he played Santa. And by the, by the end of the party, y'all, he had nearly given out everything in his bank account to the families at the party to help their poor children. His wife, perplexed, said, how could you, how could you do that? Nobody expected you to actually be Santa Claus. Church, I gotta tell you, I want to be like that guy. Whether or not he knew it, he was demonstrating being all in. Ahaz was not all in. God got some of Ahaz, but not not all. Church, do our lives reflect that we believe God has everything, everything under control? What are you holding back? What are you holding back from God, church? What are you trusting yourself, your your plans with instead of trusting God with those? Whatever it is, whatever area of your life it is in, there's a good chance that is where your greatest fear, your greatest fears lie. That's where quite possibly your root anxiety can be found. I remember something that N.T. Wright, I heard him say quite a while ago, stuck with me. I've probably mentioned it to y'all before. But he said if the Lord is not Lord of all, then the Lord is not Lord at all. The Lord is not Lord of all, the Lord is not Lord at all. Now, I'm not making a a statement about who's in and and who's out relative to eternity with that. I don't think Tom Wright was making that kind of a statement either, even though that's a worthy conversation to be had. But I, I prefer to apply that quote to the conversation that we're having right now. If the Lord is not Lord of all, the Lord is not Lord at all. If the Lord is not Lord of your entire life, every part, then the Lord is not your Lord. Do our lives reflect that we believe God has everything, everything under control? When King Ahaz said, I'm good, I don't need a sign, do you notice what God did? He gave him a sign anyway. The kids sang about it so beautifully. You've heard it many, many times. There will be a young girl, and she will get pregnant, and she will birth. A child, a little boy, and his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. And Ahaz, if he heard this, he probably said under his breath, whoop de doo a baby. What does that matter? What will that prove? What will that, what will that cause? We, we have real huge problems here. Assyria is coming, whether we like it or not. But you see, King Ahaz, if he heard, he should have paid more attention to the baby's name. Emmanuel. You know what that means. God is with us. All of us. Everywhere. All the time. Think about it. Think about it, church. There is nothing that has ever happened where God wasn't. Nothing has ever happened where God is not. That is some incredible news. And this time of year, I'm afraid we we Christians, we can be very quick. Me first to assume that the story of a, a virgin giving birth to a baby who will, who will save the world is just the most natural, understandable news. When in actuality, that can be quite confusing and alarming to a world unfamiliar with the story. Because they can be unfamiliar with it, but it doesn't mean they don't hear it. It's an incredible opportunity that we have if you listen to popular radio or streaming services or, or any of the artists that choose to put out a Christmas album, the artists that we listen to. And I'm getting, I'm getting ancient. I, I don't know most of the, the artists that I hear my kids listening to. But those that put out a Christmas album, our songs make it on that Christmas album, by and large. This story is not we're not ignorant of this story, but that doesn't mean it's not confusing, alarming, hard to understand, hard to deal with. And it adds to the confusion when we go around and give off the vibe that the incarnation or or the embodiment of God in Jesus, it, it relieves us from the obligation of actually participating in the world. So that we can come alongside people who may have questions about this story that is so apparent in the Christmas songs that they hear all month long to to offer conversation alongside that confusion to help share scripture and break down apparent barriers and to to simply offer evidence or a testimony of why we believe that this strange story actually changed everything. That is a huge part of how we participate in the world. And if we're unwilling to do so, we we betray that we are simply in so many ways and we we don't need to be doing this. But we, we can fall into this, that we are just biding our time until we get to heaven or until Jesus comes again. As if someone is telling us when we wake up every morning, nobody expects you, church, to actually be Santa Claus Nobody expects you to be the evidence of God in the world. Yes, God does. Now, I'll remind you a few weeks ago, I told you about a common misconception of what following and being formed by Jesus, what it looks like. We can can get duped into thinking that when we follow Jesus, wherever Jesus is, There's no misery when the truth is, wherever there's misery, that's where Jesus is. The baby was born into this world. A world full of misery. And we are called during Advent to face head on this this vulnerable world and our place within it. As one biblical scholar put it, we, we have hope against all the evidence. And this evidence has, has come hard and fast for some of you, my friends, here recently. This evidence that is, that is cancer. Persistent cancer. Apparent cancer. Quickly aging parents. Anniversaries of, of the deaths of loved ones, or maybe the first Christmas without a loved one. Yes, a, a baby is the most fragile of things, and life is as well. But Jesus says this the thief perhaps Assyria in in this story's case, comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. But I have come, Jesus says, to give you life. And not just life, abundant life. Abundance in spite of fragility. Hope against All evidence. And we have confidence in this church. Even in the most miserable. Of times. Precisely because of what I try to remind you. Each and every week. We are just not alone. Never alone. Imagine a child in a. In a parent or a, a caregiver's lap, a young child. And they're in their lap because they've well they've fallen. Fallen hard. And there's blood and they they need a band-aid or twelve band-aids. And the caregiver says, Oh child, can I can I kiss it? Make it better. And they do. They kiss it. And it gets better. Is the kiss what made it feel better? No way. It's the time in the caregiver's lap. It's the time in the parent's arms. It's, it's that undeniable feeling of knowing that you are loved and that you are not alone. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God is with us. This practice is as old as the church, friends. We gather around this table together several times a year, and we remember. We remember what Ahaz failed to recognize, what Isaiah tried to communicate. That God is with us. He is always with us. He is Lord of all.